If you have your Bible today, we're going to finish up our series called Real Revival. Real Revival. Now, today is Palm Sunday, okay? And um, uh, I, would, I would venture a guess that in almost every church, someone today is going to be either preaching out of uh, John 12, which is, if you have your Bible, you can turn there, but I also want you to know that our main text is one chapter before. And, and with telling this story of Jesus's, what is sometimes called by scholars, triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And of course, it was prophesied some 500 years in advance that he would come riding on the foal of a donkey, that he would come and, and this, and, and by the way, you need to know uh, what was being said that day. It was, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And I just want to let everybody know who likes it quiet, you would have hated Palm Sunday. The scriptures say all throughout when describing Palm Sunday that it was with loud shouts that they said these things. Let me read it to you from John 12 and, and, and verses 12 and 13. It says this, the next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast when they had heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the, the Lord, the King of Israel. Therefore, the people who were with him, when, they, when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, this is verse 17 and 18, bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him. Because they heard that he had done this sign. So if uh, today I not only want to celebrate the triumphant entry, I want to try, I want to today to bring attention to the catalyst for this parade of praise. I want to, I want to bring your attention to the whole reason people were shouting Hosanna, which means God save now. Why they were saying, son of David. And they would say, you know, son of David means the only Messiah. The only one. Why they would say, blessed. Which means the only one favored to rescue and deliver us. Why would they shout these things? What was the catalyst? I mean, of course, all the Jews were in town for their commanded feast. Yes. But that is not the reason this joyous, loud parade erupted. The reason the parade erupted was because of what happened shortly before. The resurrection of Lazarus. Now, today, I'm finishing up this Real Revival series coming to you saying, I believe God wants to do something in our region that looked a little bit like Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. I believe that he wants to work in and through his people in a way that causes them to cry out, save now. Only Messiah, the only one favored to deliver us and rescue us. 
I believe that. Uh, Matthew's version, uh, Matthew 21, says it this way. That the city was saying, who is this Jesus? On that triumphant day. They would uh, come that day with palm branches. When you study this out, I've, I've done teachings on this before. The palm branches were symbols of victory. So the reason why they were waving the palm branches is saying, this is the victorious moment for us. Our king is coming. They would not only uh, uh, wave the palm branches, the scripture said they laid clothes on the road. You say, why would they do that? That was symbolic of them saying, we are laying our very giftings, our talents, other way, otherwise, maybe if you're, uh, maybe, maybe you're a student of the Bible, you would say it this way. They were laying their mantles down, everything that God had made them to be. They said, God, we're, we're laying all of this before him because he is worthy. This is all to make way for the king to come in. Last night I had a dream. I wasn't even planning on obviously sharing this until I had the dream. And in the dream, I saw Calvary Church. I saw your faces, and I saw many of you who had been bound in shame by things that you had done before, and I saw you coming into the greatest moment of worship and adoration and intimacy with Jesus as ever. I saw others who had been traumatized by life's pains, who had, who had gone through some things, like faced some real trauma, and those people erupting in praise. I saw people getting things in order in their life. And, at, and, and as all of this was happening, everyone emptied out of the, uh, uh, of the sanctuary. And I thought, oh no, I've done it now. I've offended everybody. But what happened was the entire church, and really there's probably only a couple of you that will shout amen at this part. The whole church was running in step with one another outside right here on this land we were running in step and we were all saying this is the time where i'm going to be in the best spiritual shape of my life and we're all running together and i'm like glory to god look at that i was like i was on this stage looking out the windows and i could see all of you flourishing in the strength of god growing stronger in him i'm like glory to god which which is wonderful because the title of my sermon today could be offensive i actually picked one of the most offensive titles on purpose so in this Real Revival series, we're going to get down to what causes real revival. And here it is, real Christians. Quotation marks. Not fake ones. But people who have experienced something from God. Now, I want to take you back to the catalyst of this parade. If we're ever going to experience a city impacted, you've got to get to the catalyst. You're not going to experience the benefits of Palm Sunday if you don't walk through what God says to walk through as a people. Now look at this, John 11. This is from the Amplified. Verses 32 through 45. You can follow along on the Bible app. By the way, all the notes are there for you. Find it on a live event right on your phone. Add your own notes. 
It says this, when Mary came to the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her sobbing, and the Jews who had come with her also sobbing, he was deeply moved in spirit to the point of anger at the sorrow caused by death, and was troubled and said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, see how he loved him as a close friend. But some of them said, could not this man who opened blind eyes have kept this man from dying? So Jesus, again, deeply moved within to the point of anger, approached the tomb. It was a cave, and a boulder was laying against it to cover the entrance. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an offensive odor, for he has been dead four days. It's hopeless. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believe in me, you will see the glory of God, the expression of his excellence? So they took away the stone, and Jesus raised his eyes toward heaven and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me and listen to me, and I have said this because of the people standing around, so that they may believe that you have sent me and that you have made me your representative. When he said this, he shouted, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Out came the man who had been dead, his hands and feet tightly wrapped in burial cloths, linen strips, and with a burial cloth wrapped around his face. Jesus said to them, unwrap him and release him. So then many of the Jews who had come to be with Mary, who were eyewitnesses to what Jesus had done, believed in him. Glory to God. Now, there's much to this story. I didn't, didn't want to read the whole chapter for you. There's a lot, a lot connected to this story. I want you to not read this story as something that is isolated to Jesus because he's the son of God. That is typically how people will exempt themselves from ministering like Jesus. We see Jesus come to a moment where someone has been dead. Matter of fact, he waited on purpose. He said that he waited because he loved them and he actually, this was for the glory of God. If you read the whole chapter. And so now, now he comes and he's doing this, this mighty ministry. Listen, church. He was not doing this ministry only for messianic confirmation. Did it, did it confirm that he was Messiah? Yes, he did. However, when we read this passage, let the words of Jesus in John 14 echo in your ears. Those who believe in me, the works that I do, they will do also. And greater works will they do. Why? Because I go to my Father. He was speaking of the Holy Spirit, which would then come. I believe in this moment, 
Jesus is modeling to us New Testament Christianity. This is one of the moments where you actually get a glimpse of what it is to be like as a real Christian. I told you I was going to offend you with that. Matter of fact, let me say it this way. Real revival, according to Jeremiah Johnson, great, great man of God, he said it this way. He says, real revival is the church living New Testament Christianity, not observing Jesus as the New Testament church, but the, 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 the real revival is the church expressing the works and ministry of Jesus. Now, we're going to walk through this story. Why? Because I believe God wants to do something profound in this community. And it's not just because of, of, a, of a few preachers in this community who love God, but God is raising up a church that is filled with His Spirit that want to see Him move in a historic way in lives. So let me, let me walk you through some of this. And give you what I believe God wants to do in us and through us. First, real Christians are deeply moved. Real Christians are deeply moved by what? By sin's effect on fallen humanity. John eleven thirty three. 33, it says, When Jesus saw her sobbing, and the Jews who had come with her also sobbing, he was deeply moved in spirit, to the point of anger at the sorrow caused by death and was troubled. In the last three years, I've been to many funerals, conducted many celebration of lives in this place. Let me just tell you, it is healthy to mourn. Mary and Martha, they had a reason to mourn, a legitimate reason to mourn. They were moved to tears. The brother is dead. They had suffered a terrible loss. But I'm here to announce to you, this is not why Jesus wept. It is not. It actually gets revealed in the Greek when it says, he was deeply moved. That word in the Greek, um, locally, you would understand this Greek word by going to a horse farm. And a horse, when it's bothered, snorts. You ever hear a, you ever, you ever feel a horse get annoyed? I did one time as a kid. I climbed on a horse with no saddle. I felt 600 pounds get annoyed between my legs. <laughs> Heard the snort. I'm like, I'm getting off. Next day, I put my best friend on it, and he went for a wild ride. Anyways, I'm not telling that story today. This word in Greek, it means... Jesus was so deeply moved, he went, <sighs> that's what this word means. It's not, <sighs> no, it's, 
he sees his friends, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, under the influence of what entered the world at Adam. And in that moment, when he sees that devastation, he goes, <sighs> Church, I just want to tell you, the day of being the church that lives with the frame of reference, well, that's none of my business. Let me just tell you, that, that if you frame your life that way, this church will have no kingdom influence. But we have to be like Jesus who walks up into the middle of broken situations. And while we mourn with those who mourn and we rejoice with those who rejoice, we will not be satisfied with seeing any less than God's desire and God's will come to pass. There needs to be some people again who get deeply moved by what moves the heart of God. Now I want to tell you, if, if God were to give us just a dose of his emotion, we'd explode. So, so he'll give us a drop of it. And it'll weigh on our hearts and we'll be moved into action. Jesus was moved to fierce emotion over sin's devastation. Jesus cared about those who were experiencing the pain of sin's dominion over them. And let me, just, let me just say this truthfully. When you experience real revival, the real Jesus, you too will begin to be moved by what moves Jesus. We cannot just simply say, wow, I'm just, that, I'm just the one observing. Well, they're getting what they deserve. That's what they get for living in sin. That's what, no, there needs to be something moved in you that says, no, this is Satan's work. And I'm here sent by God to destroy the works of the devil, to untie those who have been attached to what God desires to do. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to untie them from Satan's work. But it starts by saying, God, I'm going to let you deeply move me. I know it was happening in the early church. Soon after persecution broke out in Jerusalem and the Christians uh, were, were dispersed everywhere. And uh, God moved the headquarters at the time from Jerusalem to Antioch. We find that in the book of Acts. And in Antioch, for the very first time, people were called Christians. In case you didn't know this. We weren't always called Christians from the very beginning. We were simply called the way or followers of the way. And then these pagans saw believers and they said, look at them. They are Christians. Here's what it, here's what it meant. They are acting like little Christ's what Christian means. It means little Christ. So what were they saying from that pagan culture? They were saying, look, they talk like Jesus. They think like Jesus. They're holy like Jesus. They minister like Jesus. They love like Jesus. Look at them. They think that they're actually an expression of Jesus. 
Guess what? Church, you're an expression of Jesus. You're the body of Christ. You are, in this world, a little Christ. And when you see sin dominating someone's life, there ought to be something in you that snorts. Let your heart be moved. That's what happened to Jesus. Matthew 9, when he was ministering, it says, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages in Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the gospel of the kingdom, healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. His words and his works reflecting his messiahship. When he saw the crowds, he was what? Moved with compassion and pity for them because they were like, they were dispirited and distressed like sheep without a shepherd. Then what does he do? He turns to his disciples and says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. By the way, what we usually do at this point is say, okay, all right, we'll pray about that. Yeah, well, Jesus' next words to these guys are go therefore. When he was moved, for those people who are under the influence of Satan, who are under the influence of death, he was moved. What did he do? He turned to his followers. And he says, this is so powerful. He says, the workers are few. You know what that means, right? It means this. The workers like me. There were plenty of Pharisees working their own gig, their own religion. There were plenty of those. But there weren't a lot of workers like Jesus. And I believe that what God is doing by his spirit is that he is raising up workers like him in this hour who say, man, I can't walk by the brokenness anymore without allowing God to break my heart, to move my heart in some way. God is raising up real Christians in the last hour who care about what he cares about. And by the way, the next thing, when you start caring about what God cares about, real Christians, they're fearless of the offensive. Now, when I say that, you think I'm going to break into some political diatribe. I absolutely am not. Because everybody in, in our culture today is looking for a reason to be offended. Everybody in, that, in, the, in the public sphere, man. And then you've got levels of being offended, levels of oppression. Everybody's ranked. It's all nonsense. It's all nonsense. But you as a believer, listen, you have got to, we all have to stop being afraid of the offensive. You say, what's the offensive in this story? Well, look at it. It says, so Jesus, again, deeply moved, uh, approached the tomb. And it was a cave and a boulder lying against it to cover its entrance. He said, take away the stone. But Martha the religious Jew that she was, the sister of the dead men said, Lord, by this time, there is an offensive odor. 
for he has been dead four days, it's hopeless. And Jesus said, did I not say to you that if you believe in me, you will see the glory of God, the expression of his evidence. Many believers today have become tomb avoiders rather than biblical resurrectors. We're tomb avoiders. Oh, come on. Come on, I know you drive a little faster past that neighbor you don't like. You zoom past their house. Come on. You know, you know they're broken. They're all wet. They're yelling so loud from their house you can hear them. And you're like, oh, let me get away from them. You know what you're doing? You're avoiding a tomb. When you think about the people who are bound in alcohol and bound in drugs and they're so far gone, I think the church today is full of a bunch of Marthas who say, who look out at the tombs of people and they say, it's been too long. I've got to keep a stone between me and them to keep their stench off of me. Come on, can we be real today? Can we be real? I think a lot of the church is just saying, they have this approach. Man, I gave my life to Jesus. Now I got to keep your stank off of me. I got to keep it off of me. You're living like you're still under the old covenant. You're living like you live in the Old Testament rather than the New Testament. The Old Testament, if you were clean, you stayed away from the unclean. Why? Because the unclean could contaminate. You know, in the New Covenant, there's a reason why our Bible tells the story about a woman with the issue of blood. She had been bleeding 12 years. This woman was unclean. She could not walk in the camp. She was not allowed to be in the city. But she said, I've been unclean so long that when she saw the clean was coming by, she said, I know this breaks all the religious rules, but if I'll press through the crowd and I'll just touch the hem of the clean, my uncleanness will be made clean. We need some more people that think that way about the people who are in the tombs of their own sin right now. The tombs of their bondage right now. By the way, this same Martha had said, Oh, I believe you're the resurrection and the life, Jesus. I believe my brother... We'll experience the resurrection in the last day. Come on, our churches are filled with Marthas that think God's going to move somewhere one day in the future in a revelatory kind of way. And I'm speaking of the, of the book of the Bible, Revelation. Oh yeah, sure, one day Revelation's going to take place and we're all going to experience resurrection power. Jesus turned and said, listen, I'm not talking about one day. I'm talking about this day. And if you would dare to roll back the stone and to not be afraid of the stench of the end influence of death and sin, you would see the glory of God. You got to remove the stone. Stop avoiding people who are steeped in sin. Stop it. Don't you remember? Jesus said, you're light. You don't need light 
in the light. He said, you're the light. You're built for darkness. You're going to have to shine in some dark places. Some people with four-day stench of death. You're going to have to be salt. Remember that? The salt of the covenant. Remember we talked about that? How the salt of the covenant, the salt represents eternity. That when I'm the salt of the earth, what am I doing? I am sharing the eternal, saving, preserving work of God with those who are in need. Who are decaying under sin's influence. That's the salt. Well, you don't need to preserve if everything is just going to hold together. Listen, church. Sin always smells like death. But we've got to roll back the, the stone of separation between the dead and sin in the church. You've got to roll back the stone. Remember the, the, uh, the acronym we gave you about salt last week? You know, you need to start a conversation. You need to ask questions. You got to listen. And then you tell the story of Christ and the gospel or your own story. If you didn't get to hear that message, please go back and listen. What am I saying to you today? You have the answer to the condition of those who are in the worst of states in this community. You are carrying the answer. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief only comes but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that they might have life and have it to the fullest. Listen, who's he talking about? Those dead in the grave of sin. Those who are in every kind of bondage, every kind of sexual sin, every kind of perversion. The ones that are popular to throw stones at these days. Even those people God, God died for. I sat with a a great man of God in this region, you know, who was just, just so stirred up over all the stuff in the, poli in the political stuff in the Middle East. And he said, man, we should just go and nuke all those Muslims. I said, and what? Immediately send them to hell? You think that's the answer? I want you to think about what you say. I want you to think about what you say before you heap eternal damnation on somebody. Listen to me. Listen, you will roll away stones if you never forget this truth from Ephesians chapter 2. And you, he made alive. Uh-oh. I was thinking about somebody else in the grave. But God says, no, no, no. You were the dead in the grave. You he made alive who were what? Dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, 
fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. By the way, that, is, that, that long list is to convince everybody who has ever said, well, I wasn't that bad. No, 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 you were really bad. We were all really bad. The stench of our tomb. Had it not been for Jesus, don't you love what it says though? But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together. By grace you have been saved. Aren't you glad he stood over your tomb one day? I tell you, you'll start standing over tombs in this community. You'll say, roll back the stone. I'll sit with them. I'll believe for them. Oh, it's not too far gone. It's not like Martha said. It is impossible. No, it's not. No, it's not with our God. They're not too far gone. There's not a, listen, there's not a strong demon in any of them. Not compared to Jesus. There's no strong spirit compared to the Holy Spirit. We're going to be the people who see people set free. Let me say it this way. This last descriptor I want to give you this morning is that we're not afraid of being offensive, but real Christians, you need to hear me on this, are intercessors. Real Christians are intercessors. And if we're ever going to see something like happened on Palm Sunday in Jerusalem happen in this community, it will happen because we do what Jesus did in this moment. Look what, look what it, it says. So they took away the stone. Did Jesus look in the tomb first? No, he did not. He didn't look in the tomb first. It says, and Jesus raised his eyes toward heaven, saying, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me and listen to me, but I have said this because of the people standing around, that they may believe you have sent me and that you have made me your representative. When he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Out came the man who had been dead, his hands and feet tightly wrapped in burial cloths, linen strips, and with a burial cloth wrapped around his face, Jesus said to them, unwrap him and release him. Let me say it to you this way. Removing emotional and spiritual boundaries doesn't produce fruit without intercession. It doesn't produce fruit without intercession. And intercess, intercessors always, real Christians, intercessors, always extend themselves in two directions. Now, I'm going to need some, I need a little help here to uh, help everybody understand the role of an intercessor. So, Larry and Diane, I want you guys come up here for a minute, and um, I want to show you, in just a very, very practical way, intercessors reaching in two directions. This is, this is Larry, 
Lazarus. Go ahead, take your place. Go ahead. Yep. Don't worry. I'll help him up. <laughs> All right. Now, Larry is dead. He's dead. He stinks. <laughs> Let me put it to you this way. How about this? Just to bring it into full view, his demon stinks. It's offensive what's going on in the natural. But intercessors get deeply moved by what moves Jesus. And they say, we're not afraid of the offensive. And intercessors suddenly begin to reach in two directions. So an intercessor comes along and they develop a relationship with the Trinity. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Don't you love what Jesus does? He doesn't look into the grave first. He turns and he worships the Father. He worships the Father. And so, here's what intercessors do. Intercessors reach out to heaven first. By the way, in this prayer, in this prayer between Jesus and the Father, did he ever once bring up Lazarus? You know what he focused on? Their intimacy. I know you've always heard me. I know you hear me. And I know we're one. He focuses on intimacy and intercession. And he's interceding between God. And I know I've offended a whole bunch of you making a woman God up here. Well, go, go watch the, you know, you know, the shack. Yeah, go watch the shack. All right. And so, get over yourself. And, and so, he then... After reaching out in intercession toward his father, I love this. Something in that interaction. The father then says, represent me, son, to the dead. He said, so that they, he said, I prayed this prayer out loud so that those around would know Heaven is backing me. And I want to show you what intercession looks like. Jesus did not say, Father, please. Their stink is killing our property value. Here's what intercession looks like when you've been living, reaching toward heaven and intimacy. Here's what intercession looks like. Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus, come forth. You'll stand in front of open tombs and you won't just ask God. You'll declare God's heart. And when you start declaring God's heart over the dead of this community, all of a sudden the bones will begin to rattle. That's what we heard of today. And then Lazarus with help from the Lord. 
bad A lot of grace for Larry. <laughs> Glory to God. Now, I got to tell you, I got to work out more <laughs> or stop doing these illustrations. <laughs> All right. Now, now I'm going to show you something where it'll go to a whole nother level. Blaine, come here. Because there's a whole lot of Lazaruses. There's a whole lot of tombs. And let me tell you what Matthew 18 says. There's a whole lot of people. Come here, come here, Blaine. Let's just join hands right here. Matthew 18, listen to me, says this. If any two agree on earth and they ask anything according to his will... They're going to have it. They're going to have it. They're going to have it. Listen, I don't know about you. If you would get the heart of God and you'd find somebody else who got a real touch from real revival and say, God, you gave me your heart for the broken. God, I'm not afraid of the offensive. And I begin to intercede. I don't need 10. I don't need 20. I don't need 200. I just need one who will touch and agree. And we're going to see the dead come out of tombs. Church, that's why real Christians are intercessors. Because if we'll agree on earth as touching any one thing, we will see the dead raised in this community. Glory to God. Just stay right there. You need to know. What I've been saying to you for weeks about blesseveryhome.com works. It works. It, it is something to be agreeing with your brothers and sisters. I was just trying to get to church today. But I've been praying for my neighbor. So when I walk out, who is standing at the end of my driveway one of the neighbors I have been repeatedly praying for. Well, what do you do, church? Do you look away and pretend like you didn't see them? Oh, I'm going to be late? Or is the divine appointment that you've been interceding for now standing at the end of your driveway and you just begin a conversation, you start to ask and they start to open up about what's going on in their life and how, and you just begin to tell them, I just begin to say, well, I'm praying for that situation you're facing and I'm believing God. And by the way, I said, and I want you to come Easter if you can come. And they're like, oh, I'm dealing, uh, we're dealing with a, uh, someone who's about to pass away. You know what? That's a moment for me to say, I said, I said, you know what? I'm going to pray for you and your wife and her mom. I'm going to pray. It's not about getting somebody here. It's about getting together and interceding for our community. It's saying, God, I'm going to hold the other end of the rope because I don't know the tomb. By the way, his name's Larry. My neighbor's name is Larry. I didn't even think of that until right now. We're in intercession. Here's what you can expect. People are going to walk out of their tomb. In this community, they're going to walk out of their tombs. And you may feel buried under a rock today. You may feel so divided from God. 
But I've come here with a whole company of people around you today who's saying the stone is getting rolled away. And we have come as representatives of heaven saying, listen, we're not afraid of whatever you've been bound in. Why? Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And no matter the sin, no matter the condition, no matter the demonic, no matter the shame, no matter the bruising, no matter the trauma, there is still a Jesus who saves, who heals, and delivers.